Here we go, season seven. All aboard. If you missed it, here's what we believe. 66 book canon. We believe in a 66 book canon. There is no more, there is no less. It's 66 books. That Yeshua, who is preached by the apostles in the Gospels and in the epistles, is the only means of salvation, as we're calling Yeshua, means. In other words, justification is by faith alone and not by works that any man should boast. Faith working through love. We are unashamedly Trinitarian. We're also unashamedly uh, doctor, believe in the doctrines of grace, what is commonly referred to as Calvinistic. The, the New Covenant is not time-bound. That is to say that the, the horizon of the faith of our father Abraham is no different. Right. No, no, it is not shy of the horizon of our hope and our faith. In other words, the, that salvation was salvation was the same for Abraham as it is for us. Right. Wednesday, February 26, 2020. This is Messiah Matters number 290. Already talking about Passover. My name is Caleb Hegg. Looking at the coffee that's in Caleb's Torah Resource mug, thinking, I wonder if that's good coffee. I'm Rob Vanoff. I could see it when you went took a sip. I'm like, that looks like a, a cup of coffee. I got one. I can tell you really put a lot of thought into your intros. I put a lot of thought into this show, man. <laughs> like this. Here's the thought that I really had. I missed the berry. Like you, our intro music, it used to used, used to start it started at the top of the chart, and the berry sax was in there. But up, but up, right. Now it plays through the head one time, and then the second time through, the berry pops in. Right. And I, I'm missing that. But I think the berry sax player is like a, a certain kind of person. There right? is no they're, doubt about that. Like, any, wind, of, any wind instrument is a certain kind of person. Well, yeah, exactly. There's like a certain kind of person for each. But the berry sax, first of all, you've got to be... It's funny if you ever see like a, a little girl play a berry sax or something. But... You got to be able to, you know, bed up. <laughs> when I was in symphony, there was like this odd unspoken rival between like the brass, the woodwinds, and then all the strings. Right there, it was like it was a little odd. But then, like, you're one of those. Oh, oh, I see. Yes, but then there was the percussionist. Now, in every other symphony, I think the percussionist is looked down upon about, he's like the God-fearers in Acts, as opposed to the proselytes, right? The woodwinds and... I love it. The, the woodwinds and the brass, they're like the proselytes. Okay, you're allowed in. But the but the percussionist, you're like the proselyte. The but violins we, are like the true Jews. Yeah, we, we, we were different, though, because our, for some reason, our percussionist was so cool. His friends, you know, there was like three percussionists. The 
main head percussionist. He was a he was a nice, cool dude, and everybody. And if he's liked good, him. if he knows, if he's if he's on top of his game, and he knows time. I have no clue what this then, is. What is yeah. going on here? That's funny, man. The, uh, I the, like it. The other percussionists were not so much like that. <laughs> um, what is going on here? I got. Is it working? Uh, yeah, I forgot to open up the chat room before we came in. Let's uh, let's get things rolling here for real. Is it open now? Uh, or does that have to happen early? <laughs> Schizophrenic then plays oboe with a double read. <laughs> PJ, funny. Okay. So, so yeah, what's up, man? What's our? Uh, you know, we got a lot. Going is that on. good coffee? We didn't. We need to answer the question. Is it hot? Is it fresh? What What are you drinking? You know what I do? I tell you what I do. My father buys. Is us, that yesterday's coffee? N- no, I, my father buys <laughs> us uh, buys the office uh, Starbucks coffee. Now oh, cool. I am a person who likes my coffee to be chewed, not drank, not burnt. So I put in a <laughs> scoop. A heaping scoop, not a flat scoop, heaping scoop for every single like cup that goes into the cup. So basically at this point, if I put 12 cups in, the the grounds come all the way to the top of the thing. Now, most people, they taste my coffee and they're like, oh, 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 it's too strong. But in the office, we've gotten so used to it that if we go anywhere else and try to drink coffee, it's like watered water. Yeah, it tastes like tea. No, I like I like good strong coffee. Yeah, right on. Okay, let's get to it because we got so much to talk about. Man, I, mm-hmm. I can tell that the uh, the sun is out in Tacoma, and the reason why is because my instantaneously my allergies kick off. Mm. Okay, before we get started, let's do this. Uh, Caller comment line two five three four six five thirty two zero five. You can also shoot us email, chagatorresource.com. And this show is brought to you by all of our executive producers, our supporters, and or like, like I, I like to think about it, C-H-A-G. Yeah, there you go. Um, hey, you, you said you were already thinking about uh, Passover. I, I was going to say I was going to say it's really Pascha. Yeah, we got And like, which Pascha are you thinking about? We like already have 35 people coming to the our Greek, Passover Seder. The Greek Orthodox Pascha. Okay. Before we go on and get into this. Okay, we got to talk about this. We've been getting this website ready for yeah, right a year, and I think we're going to launch either today or tomorrow. Here's the thing: is that all of our supporters are going to have to re-sign up to support us, which is really annoying. But it had to be done because we had to totally re- redo the entire site. Mm. Um, with that said, um, I think it's going to be worth it. So keep your eyes open for that. Okay. So will people get a notice? Like if people... we'll send out emails. Yeah, yeah, we will send out emails. Right on. It's cool. Okay. Uh, and by the way, if you are a supporter, we will have a new Messiah Matters More video up as soon as the night new site launches. We'll try to put it up right after that. So once you see the new site up, and once we send out an email, then go over to uh, to our resource, sign up for your support and then go watch the video okay but don't do that until the new site launches okay let's jump in here we got a lot going on i've already said that i'll tell you why last week i made some very strong comments they were kind of in passing but they were strong nonetheless so for instance i said uh you know yeshua died on a friday and rose on a sunday and then I proclaimed boldly that this is actually in the text. 
And Rob even said, well, what about people who believe that, you know, Yeshua died on a Tuesday or Wednesday? I said, well, people are entitled to be wrong. But the text says that it was a Friday. Now, of course, people have asked this question. You say that Christ died on a Friday, rose on a Sunday. How can you say this according to the text? Okay, this is a really easy answer because uh, we'll, we'll use four pieces of scripture to prove this, and uh, three of them are basically the same thing reiterated within the Synoptic Gospels. If you don't know what the Synoptic Gospels are, Synoptic Gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then, of course, John is quite different. A lot of people and a lot of scholars for many, 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 many years, almost, I would say, 1,900 years, believed strongly that John and the synoptics contradicted each other. The reason why, and we've talked about this on this show before, is because it seems, seems, it seems as though John contradicts the synoptics. It seems as though John has Yeshua dying on Nisan 14 when the lambs are slaughtered. Whereas Matthew, Mark, and Luke clearly have him dying on right. the 15th of Nisan. So they, the Last Supper, according to the Synoptic Gospels, is a, is a Passover meal. Whereas it seems, I'm going to keep using this word, word, seems that John places... Air quotes. The, yeah, air quotes. Places uh, this meal on Nisan 13, making it not a Passover meal, but a love feast. Now, I've written... Uh, extensively on this, although I have not released my my work on it yet. Okay, with all that said, and and we, your dad's written on it. We interviewed Brant Petrie, who wrote a whole book on on the uh, that addresses this. Right, that's not the whole content of the book, but he does challenge, and he he rehearses basically what your dad had written in a online article, you know, ten or twenty years ago. Here's the thing. Here's here's the thing is that, uh, you know, scholarship today, those who have uh, actually started to look into this have realized, no, the synoptics and John line up perfectly. It's understanding the language that John is using. Exactly. And once and this is one of my this is one of my uh, go to passages now when people say, oh, well, you know, this is a contradictory. Look at this or look at this. It's a contradictory in the Bible. And my answer is, well, for almost 1,900 years, scholars believed that John and the Synoptic Gospels contradicted each other. It took them 1,900 years to figure out, no, they don't contradict each other. They're perfectly in alignment. Okay, so why do I say that Yeshua died on a Friday? And this can be proven from the text. Well, for those who listen to this show, I hope and I pray that you believe that the scriptures are in, the 66 book scriptures are inspired and that they do not contradict each other. Okay, so if they do not contradict each other, and these are, you know, this is the question that I would ask to people who say that Yeshua was, was not, did not die on the 15th of Nisan. Now, we need to establish this before we get into some other questions, because we got questions about the sign of Jonah. We got questions about proving this, that, and the other. So let's establish first that Yeshua died on a Friday. Okay. Let's go to the text. Matthew 26, 17 says, Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Yeshua and, and asked, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? Okay. Now, this might you might be able to say, Okay, well, that, that doesn't necessarily mean one way or the other. Okay. 
Now, let's go to the affirming, the reaffirming of this same thing in Mark and Luke. In Mark 14, 12, it says, On the first day of unleavened bread, when they were sacrificing the Passover lambs, his disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and prepare for you to eat the Pascha? What is the Pascha? It's not, it's not the, the ceremonial meal. It's the Passover lamb. And we know this because in Exodus, it talks about the Pascha, which is the lamb. So Mark has already affirmed that what Matthew is talking about when he says the first day of unleavened bread, what he's talking about is Nisan 14, because Nisan 14 is the only time, the only day when the lambs could be sacrificed. So we know that this is Nisan 14. Otherwise, the temple would not be sacrificing the lambs. Okay, let's go to Luke. Luke 22, 7 says, then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb, now they supply lamb there. Now I'll, I'll give you all that. But it says, the, uh, then the, uh, came the day of unleavened bread on which the Pascha had to be sacrificed. What day is that? Well, we know what day that is because the only day that the Pascha could be sacrificed, Nisan 14. Okay, now, what happens in the Synoptic Gospels? Everybody should know this. Well, Yeshua is arrested after the meal in the garden. Okay, He goes to the Jewish authorities' home. They keep him overnight. In the morning time, they take him to the Praetorium. And they bring him to, to Pilate, right? Pilate then sends him to Herod. Herod sends him back to Pilate the same day. And then he is crucified on the next day, which, according to the Synoptic Gospels, would be Nisan 15. Okay, so now let's go to John. Now, this is where we know, this is how we know that he was crucified on a Friday John 19.31, then the Jews, because it was the day of preparation, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath. Well, there's two main things that's going on here. First of all, if Matthew, Mark, and Luke are not contradictory to John, then you have two days of preparation in a row. You have the day of preparation, which is Nisan 14 for the Passover, and then the next day is a day of preparation. When is the only time that this happens? The only time that you have two days of preparation in a row is when Nissan 14 is on a Thursday and Nissan 15 is on a Friday. That's the only time. You have no other time when you have two preparation days in a row. So this right here tells us, these four verses right here tell us that he's he is crucified on a Friday. Beyond that, and this is something that a lot of people miss in the English. The day of preparation is never, ever used in any literature that we have of the first century, ever used for Nisan 14. Friday is called the day of preparation. Right. So John uses the, it would be like us saying, and because it was Friday, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath. Now, people are going to say, oh, no, 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 the day of preparation could be Nisan 14. Prove it. Show me anywhere in any first century literature. And once again, why don't the Synoptic Gospels use this? They say it was the day of unleavened bread, the day when the, uh, when the Passover was, when the Pascha was sacrificed. They don't say it was the day of preparation. Why? Because it wasn't Friday. The day of preparation is only used for Friday. John uses the, the name of Friday in the first century for that day. Okay, so he was 
that's why I say, unless the Synoptic Gospels contradict John, then you have two preparation which, which days. Which has in a been row. a position for a long time. People have argued that that John is just deliberately changing the picture, right? Yeah, people have argued that for many, many years. Yeah, so so what what Rob is talking about is that John actually changes the actual uh, the actual chronology, yeah, the telling, for the, the telling for the of the story, story. to yeah. to make it so that uh, Yeshua dies on the uh, on Nisan fourteen, the same time that the lambs are being slaughtered. Now, I would argue that John never uses language like this. I think that if we if we understand John's language, then he puts it in the exact same time frame as the Synoptic Gospels. Which is that that Yeshua dies on the fifteenth, which is a Friday. Now let's go to Colleen. She asked this question. Colleen writes in. She says, "I am, at this point, well convinced the Last Supper was a Passover, and even that it was on Friday." I'm a heretic in my group. She says. <laughs> now one of my friends or any at my fellowship who followed Torah believe that it was Friday. He died, and only a few believe the Last Supper was Passover. So basically, what is being uh, suggested then is that the Synoptic Gospels and John contradict each other. If you don't yeah, believe you... that's one right, that's one aspect. The other is that that it wasn't a Passover meal. That's yeah, but is that what some some in her group yeah, say? So, well, th- that it was a, a love meal, a love feast. But the problem is, is that then you have you have the Synoptic Gospels placing uh, ta- placing the uh, the Last Supper on the day of preparation. Of the Passover, that is, and I shouldn't use that language because John uses that language. He's still talking about Friday, on Nisan 14. They place it on Nisan 14, and then John says that his body was taken off the cross because it was the day of preparation. What day? You can't have two. You can't have two days preparing for a Sabbath in a row. So either either they contradict each other, or he died on a Friday. That those are the only options. And trust me. I have worked and worked and worked to try to get it a different way. It doesn't work. It just doesn't work. So let's go to Colleen. She says, uh, not one of my friends in my fellowship, uh, okay, blah, 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 or that he died on a Friday. He died and only a few believe the Last Supper was a Passover. It clearly was a Passover because Yeshua says what in the synoptics? I have earnestly desired to eat this Pascha with you. The text says it. I'm not making this stuff up. Okay. Um, she goes on. The primary problem for this, which was my primary problem before I changed my thinking, is this. Yeshua had to die at the exact prescribed time for killing the lambs in order to be our Passover. Between evening on the 14th, therefore, the Last Supper could not be a Passover because of the book of John. You probably know all the arguments. I do know all the arguments. And this is the thing that I just don't understand. Where in Scripture... Does it say that Yeshua had to die at the exact same times as the lambs? You know, I was listening to Leviticus the other day. I, sometimes I listen to uh, the, the ESV as I'm driving around. And it talks about the peace offering and how no unclean person is supposed to come in and, part- in, and, and bring the peace offering if they are un- physically unclean. And I, and I was noting to myself, oh, this is such a beautiful picture of who, uh, of how God saves us. If we have any uncleanness at all, and we come in and we try to be at peace with God, if we come in without the, you know, without the proper cleansing of Yeshua, then guess what? Right. We, we can't commune. We can't enter. And the thing is, is that Yeshua is the peace offering. 
Yeshua is also the Yom Kippur offering. Yeshua is also the offerings of Sukkot. And actually, that's a really fun one because he gets less and less and less every single every single day until you get to a perfect number of seven, right? Which is, I think, there's a lot of there's a lot of meaning here. Anyway, so is Yeshua the Passover sacrifice? Does he represent the Passover sacrifice? The Book of Hebrews is all about this, right? He's the priest. He's the he's the lamb that's offered. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but Yeshua certainly was not sacrificed on Yom Kippur. He also was not sacrificed at the exact same same time that every peace offering was sacrificed or, or sin first, offering or the first fruits or the first fruits offering. So are you telling me that he's not the Yom Kippur sacrifice because he didn't die at the exact same time? These things are a shadow of the true thing. Not the other way around. There's nowhere in scripture anywhere that even alludes to the idea that Yeshua would die at the exact same time as the Passover sacrifice. So I don't understand this mentality. Who made up this theory that Yeshua had to die at the same time as the as the uh, Passover sacrifice? And I'm not saying that Colleen is, is the one saying this. We hear this all the time. There doesn't seem to be any logical explanation for why people say this. There's no scripture that alludes to it. There's no theory within scripture that can point to it. In fact, all of the evidence would say, no, this is nonsense. Why would this be? So I I just, to, to, to stretch the scriptures that way, and I don't even know what scripture you would stretch. I mean, point me to a scripture. That's what, that's what my response would be. Point me to any scripture that would allude to this. And then tell me how he is the, the Yom Kippur sacrifice if he didn't die at the exact same time. That's what I would say to that. She goes on, the primary problem for not believing a Friday crucifixion is this. Yeshua said three days and three nights, and it has to be exactly that. Okay, this is an interesting one because there's a guy who actually said it had to be exactly 72 hours. Now, we're going to talk about that in a second. I know I'm taking up a lot of time here, Rob. I'm going to let you talk the rest of the time, but bear with it's okay. me. That's okay. Bear with me. Matthew 12, 39 through 40 is the reference here. Let's read it real quick. It says, But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign. By the way, this is paralleled in the, in the other synoptics. And yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Okay. Now, uh, in your show notes, for those who get our show notes, I put in a link to my video, Three Days and Three Nights, which is on our YouTube channel. And I spent about 45 minutes answering this question. But I digress. Let's take a very quick look at it here. Colleen says, can you address why Yeshua did not need to, be, to die between the evenings on the 14th in order to be the Passover? I think we already did that. Number two, can you tell me what your best understanding is regarding Yeshua's words, three days and three nights, and why it does not have to be exactly what it sounds like in English, 72 hours. Well, first of all, what is exactly 72 hours? Is it down to the second? If so, is it 71 hours, 59 minutes and 59 seconds? Or is, I mean, is it to the second? That's number one. Number two, uh, within first century literature, and within the Bible, mind you. Constantly, they will say, uh, it'll be three days and three nights. And on the third day, not on the fourth day, on the third day, 
which means that it wasn't 72 hours. In fact, we see in Jewish literature, later Jewish literature like the Mishnah and the, and the Talmud, they tell us that any part of a day constitutes the whole day. So if he was in the ground for any part of Friday, it would count as one day. Any part of Saturday, it was one day. It's a metaphor. And basically, what is the actual sign of Jonah? Was that when Jonah came to the Ninevites, did they say, oh, my word, he's been gone exactly 72 hours. This must mean that he's telling the truth. No, that's not what they said. It was as if he had died and now he had risen. Three days and three nights constitutes the fact that a person has died. It does not constitute 72 hours. What it constitutes is this, the idea that this person is dead, not, not mostly dead. This person is fully dead and has now come back from the grave. That's what it constitutes. So when he says, just as the sign of Jonah, three days and three nights, what he's saying is as it's that he is fully dead, seen as gone, nail in the coffin, buried, and now no breath left in his, you know, his heart is not beating. He is dead. And all of a sudden he has risen from the grave. That's what this means. And I would encourage you to go look at my, uh, I give multiple examples of multiple first century and surrounding literature uh, to prove this. Those are my answers. Okay. I've talked for a really long time and I I apologize for that. No, I think that's good. Okay. Um, I want you to talk about this one. I hope that that answers some questions for people. I'll try to clip a couple of those to make them easy to share. Asher writes in, apart from the weekends, we can only take 14 days off each year. Some have even less. Uh, did I, I didn't get this whole thing. I'm sorry. I'll give you a, you want me to give you a different one or you want to, can you read that one? Is that the one you wanted? I don't have it in front of me. Asher. Let's look. I got it. Uh, I remember it, but I don't remember it word for word. Okay, I'm almost there. It's a good question. It has to do with the, like, how not all Shabbats fall on the standard weekends that people normally have off. Okay, he says, uh, "Hi, Rob and Caleb. Do people in your congregation take time off from work on the first and seventh day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread? Looking at Leviticus 23, there are quite a few more days in the year to cease from work." Um, and then he says, apart from the weekends, we can only take 14 days off each year. Some have even less leave days. What's y'all's average quota over there? Well, usually people plan a year in advance with their employer. This is one of the reasons, yeah. by the way, that Torah Resource puts out a, well, we've put a calendar up. Uh, that has all the feast days. And one of the reasons why is so that people can can look at those feast days and ask for them off in plenty of time. Go ahead. No, and that's basically right. Yeah, so you can plan ahead and, and you know, that's... It's not that it's not like taking I need three weeks off, you know. It's it's a day here, a day there. The The cluster is in the fall, so it's usually late summer or early fall when we have the the feast of tishrei where you have uh there's a set and usually so you've got the uh the first day of the seventh month yom teruah and that's a shabbat and that could be anywhere in the week 
And then you know that exactly two weeks later, the 15th of the same month is also a Shabbat. So you're going to have, let's say it's a Monday in October, then two weeks later, a Monday in October. So you're, uh, you're going to have that. And then you're going to have the other Yom Kippur is in the middle there. So you've got a cluster of days that is the biggest in, in the fall. In total, I think throughout the entire year, it's seven, maybe eight. It's, it's right. That you take off. So the challenge is, you know, it does, is your employer going to make you take, you know, vacation day or can you say, Hey, I know people say they'll, they'll work out with their employer and they'll say, I'll work, I'll come in on a Sunday, you know, and I'll work and get work done that normally I'd take a Sunday off. That way they're not chewing into vacation time. Like let's say they want a week, a full week or two weeks off together so they can go do something with their family. You know, this is uh, for, for us now at Torah Resource, this is easy because it's just expected. You will not be here on a festival. <laughs> and if you try to come in on a festival, something is desperately wrong. Um, nobody here works on the festivals. But before I, before I started working for my father, one of the things that I would do, I worked, at, I worked a lot of different jobs. I worked Starbucks for uh, you know, quite a long time. I worked at a fruit stand. I say fruit stand. It's actually a full-on store. Um, and I worked, at, I worked in pizza for quite some time as well. Most of the time what I would do is I would offer to work on Christmas as long as it wasn't on a Saturday. If I could work, if I if I volunteered to work Christmas, and even Thanksgiving or the Fourth of July, so in other words, all the holidays holidays that everybody wanted off here in America, I would offer to work those if they weren't on a Saturday in order to get the other days off. And I just, I remember one time I forget I was working at Denny's. I hated that job so much. I forget what festival it was, but I just they they wouldn't give it to me off. And so I just told my boss, I'm not coming in. And he said, well, you know, you're going to, you have to come in. You're on the schedule. I said, okay. So then I just called in sick. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just called it. He answered. I said, I'm sick. I'm not coming in. I got fired, but you know, whatever. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just like, uh, you know, it's just like being in part in, in community. It's commanded. We have to try to work it out. Yeah. Do Do your best and pray and you know people are I, I think people are understanding and and try to try to work it out say hey can I work extra hours you know yeah at another time so okay I'm, I'm gonna let you I'm gonna let you wax boldly on this one okay what's this one recently I have seen this is from Jonathan recently I've seen a renewed push for the original Hebrew New Testament I've seen people sharing this on social media and I've known plenty of people in person who believe it. I first began to research the topic about 2014 and only ever found evidence to the contrary. Gee, I wonder why. I've seen writings by your dad as well as John McKee that address this topic. However, in the last few weeks, I've seen quite a few pushing books and upcoming DVDs by Dr. Miles Jones. I don't know who that is. Essentially, his claim is that the New Testament was originally Hebrew and was kept hidden by an underground group of Torah-keeping Christians for centuries. I, I'm, let me just quickly <laughs> talk to the, to, to the underground group of Torah-keeping Christians. I'm pretty sure 
that uh, this is a reference reference to the Hebrew Matthew. And this is not like the Dudelay, which is later, like 13th century. I'm talking about there. there is a reference of church fathers and other people who continually um, quote what they say is the gospel of Matthew in Hebrew, or the it's also called the Hebrew gospel. And they, uh, the was it the Ebionites? I forget. I think it's one of the Torah-keeping groups that uh, rejected Paul. According to Jerome. I right. Uh, they accepted this as scripture. Now, the biggest problem with this, and we've talked about this before, is that all of the quotes from it and all of the... Uh, Everything that we have on this Hebrew gospel does not line up with Matthew's actual canonical gospel. In fact, they're they're put they're put against each other in the lists. So, in other words, they'll say the Gospel of Matthew is accepted as canon, whereas the Hebrew gospel or the Hebrew Matthew gospel is spurious, meaning it is not scripture. Okay, go ahead. If somebody well, says a, that they, that it was written in way, Hebrew, yeah, go. Yeah, there's a couple ways to talk about it. One is that would be saying that. Yeshua, who said, you know, don't don't build a house before you sat down and planned. Otherwise, people are going to say, oh, he didn't even build the he didn't even plan to build the house, right? He didn't finish. This guy starts things and didn't finish. And he says, I will build my ecclesia. And that faith comes by hearing, and who will believe unless someone is sent? Demands. And he also said, you don't put a you don't light a lamp and hide it under a Bushel, right. To suggest that the true Hebrew gospel is hidden from the world. Right. Just it, it doesn't even matter that it's Hebrew or anything. It just is, is, is silly and sensational. So on that claim alone, I wouldn't give the guy any more attention. But if he wants to say, oh, he's going to, you know how it is with a lie. A lie has just enough truth in it to sell. Right. There's just enough little bits in there and any little lessons. So trust me, it at it and if there was a Hebrew manuscript that had any viability at all, there would be it would be the topic of SBL and they would bring the full weight of the methods of manuscript assessment and you know it that they use for the Dead Sea Scrolls on it. They would, they would, you know, the, the idea of copying and transmission history. This is why, you know, we, we take, if, if a book just shows up all of a sudden, you know, and there, oh, we have this manuscript, there's a whole science of forgeries now. They can, they can look at the antiquities market, the black market and the antiquities market and say, okay, we can tell that this is a forgery now because they have such a wealth of knowledge of what real manuscripts, what real archaeological evidence looks like over against what people who are who make money by being frauds. That that same deal that people will buy something that they don't discern what because it has the sweetness of a of a sensation to it. And that's how that's what this guy's doing. If he if if it if what I'm hearing is correct, is that this guy's selling that he somehow found it, or that it was there and that it's been hidden from the church? Nonsense, nonsense. This is the same Nehemiah Gordon thing. This is the same. Uh, what's the guy who who says that part of John six needs to be gone? Michael Rude. 
Yeah, the guy who says, "Oh, this other book doesn't belong in the Bible." Actually, you know, don't Monty these Julia. guys are all these guys are snake oil salesmen. You know. Yeah, I think one of the better. Are, if, you're, I mean, if you're interested, read the. I thought I had it here, uh, Jim Edwards' book. On here, the here's gospel. here's the thing. We have. Uh, uh, look, in Matthew, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. I mean, look, if if the same thing were true today, let's say that, the, that, that, you know, let's say that, let's put it into our time frame. It's like if, you know, Christ comes to the Philippines and says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. And they say, okay, we'll write everything into the, Tagalog. Nobody's going to be able to read yeah. that. The point of of They're going to Shavuot, write it in English. Right. The point in Shavuot is that God was working by the power of the Holy Spirit for people to hear in their own language. The message was translatable into their own language. It's the the original gospels, the gospels that we have and the epistles and the the scriptures written in Greek. Well, it's written just like Greek. the Torah. It's just like the Torah. What was the Torah written in? In, the, in? I mean, it was a Canaanite language. It was put into the language of the people in that time and in that region. It was, I mean. Right, with the alphabet that already was there. Right, God didn't re- reveal yeah, I, an alphabet. I mean, it's not like. That's all, back to the Hebrew letter thing, you know. You, you can't <laughs> use that. Inter- <laughs> like there's so many. We have like full of the all the Northwest. Semitic inscriptions. We've got Phoenician, Aramaic, Moabite. Um, what else? We've got all manner of inscriptions. We have a question from Evelyn. And, in the, and they uh, use the same alphabet. They use the same alphabet right. the yeah. s- and the same core vocab. Yeah, exactly. It, it was a lingua it's not like of it's, the time. It's, right. It's not like I can use Hebrew word pictures when I'm reading the scripture, but when I'm reading like an arrowhead that has a Hebrew guy's name on it. <laughs> like, I can't apply the Paleo-Hebrew word pictures to understand what was written on a shard of pottery. You know, oh, it's this says, the man stands with the eye, and the house had an ox in it. You know what I mean? It, it just... It doesn't work. So, Chris, we got a couple of questions in the chat room, which are good questions. Christopher asks, have you guys said anything about the Patterns of Evidence series? Yes, we did an entire show on the uh, Exodus one, on the date of the Exodus. I think. Oh, we met the guy. Didn't we meet the guy like in Baltimore or Boston or something? Uh, I want to say it was Atlanta. Atlanta. Yeah, it was East Coast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Nice guy. You know, and honestly, he has a, uh, he has, you know, he's trying hard. And uh, what's the scholar's name that he uh, that he ha- that he heavily interviews in the in the Exodus one? Uh, it starts with an R. Anyway, he's the guy who who pushes all the the timeline way back uh, so that they come out. Yeah. Anyway, hmm. um, I don't remember. We met him in a, at a different SBL as well. Um, I I appreciate that he. Uh, talk to some good scholars i wish he would have put more emphasis emphasis on the most popular scholarly view which is that they came out in the 1440s um okay with that said 
Evelyn says, what do you all think the purposes of God for more Christians starting to further observe Torah through Christ? I think it's to fulfill the prophecies that say the Gentiles will come to Torah. Right? It says that in those days, 10 Gentiles will take a hold of one Jew's deity and say, teach us about God. It says that the coastlands will wait expectantly for the Torah. The coastlands does not mean like Haifa. The coastlands means like the surrounding, like the Gentiles. Right? So, and how can they come to, how can they come to Torah if they already had it? I think that the rejection of, of certain parts of, of uh, Torah commands or the belief that they're fulfilled in Christ is prophesied within the scriptures, as is the rejection of Christ by the Jewish people as a whole, not as a like as an overarching. In other words, of Israel, Israel as a nation says we don't believe in Christ. Certainly there are Jews. I mean, my father is a perfect example of this. Certainly there are Jews who believe that Yeshua is the Messiah. But... Uh, the point is, is that you have this large faction of Jews that say Yeshua is not the Messiah. You have this large faction of Gentiles who say we're not going to, we don't believe that all the Torah is for us, or that we believe that certain parts of the Torah has been fulfilled on the cross. And then in the end times, you have a change, right? The Gentiles come to Torah. The Jews get really jealous, but the Jews still don't turn to Christ until. You know, until they call out. Right. Yeah. Pretty, pretty incredible. Okay. And then what does Paul call us? The first fruits. Right? Believe in Christ and believe and, and love the Torah. Okay. We got another one. We got, we got several more actually. Donna writes in, she says, would you do a show discussing the various apocryphal books covering their existence today when written, who actually wrote them, etc.? I think you've discussed one here and there when it comes up, but it would be nice to have a video resource for those of us who forget and also to share, to go to that summarizes all of them. The problem with trying to summarize all of them is that there's a lot. I mean, it would take a lot more than one show. I would encourage you to take Rob's course on uh, non-canonical first century literature uh, at Torah Resource Institute. You're going to get a lot more there. It is a tough, it is a tough, there are good, um, and we've we've, uh, mentioned it before, like if you want to buy a book, I would buy the, there's one volume. It's a two volume set by James Charlesworth. So that the uh, two volume set, I don't know if you can see what that is. Yeah, it's, um, it's really good, by the way. I have that old, as well. The Old Testament pseudepigrapha. Yeah. Well, the Old Testament, Old Testament pseudepigrapha. So it's spelled P-S-E-U-D-A-E. Pseudo, and it's, it's pseudo plus epigrapha. So it's writings. Um, volume one and two, you can get them on sale. Like this is a hard hardback, but you, you can get them in, in paperback now with... Uh, on sale maybe at christian books or something for like 20 30 bucks you if you're okay buying used books you get them for cheaper but that's where you should start because it's going to have each book is a, a new translation and it has a scholar that gives a whole introduction to what do we know about this book right 
now now granted this was 80s i think but it's solid yeah so it's it it is from the 80s so it's it's uh what is that 30 plus years old so you probably get it for a good deal but the thing is it's it's a good place to start and it's a good if you're going to build your library up on That's this play, type of yeah. material this is a place to start it's yeah as, it's it's kind of refine. a it's it's kind of a must when it comes to researching any of those things every time that i've looked at the pseudepigrapha or i've looked at the apocrypha and i've tried to like you know i've tried to understand why things aren't in the canon that's the first place to go. Right. And man, there are some just some dynamite, you know, dynamite articles in there. And another bit on that, too, is that once you start studying that. Then you're, you start getting into who are the different people groups, who are the different sectarian groups, which means inevitably you're going to get into not just who are the Sadducees and Pharisees. You're going to get into who are the scenes. Are they the same as the Yahad? What is the Dead Sea Scrolls? Who are the people out there? Right. And if you're going to go that because so the other one I recommend is the Marty Abeg, the Peter Flint Marty Abeg, and is it Edward Cook or, or Michael Wise, Martin Abeg, Edward Cook, uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls, a new translation. Right. Now this too, this is dated. This is like from the late nineties, I would say probably, um, but ninety six, yeah. But it's still solid. And that those are the starting places. Now, yes, there's newer resources that will have maybe people will push back on a little of the stuff that was done earlier. But if you're going to jump in to and you want something that's solid for your library as a resource, that's where to start. Agreed. OK. Um, we have one more. Uh, Donna also writes, I'd sure like more on those obscure passages that you say were taken out or put in at some point, some time. Rob is such a wealth of knowledge and has been such a blessing with his knowledge of the Hebrew and Greek. In a lot of time, he's pretty quiet. Um, I, I, this is a confusing comment to me because I'm not sure if she's talking about like. Are you talking about like textual criticism of what is, you know, what was originally written? Are you talking about the pretty well-known, you know, obscure passages like the longer ending of Mark? Are you talking about, you know, the adulterous woman? Are you talking about uh, Yeshua's comment on the cross, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they've done? I mean, this these kind of things, there's not a few of them. There's a lot of them, especially if you're talking about criti textual criticism. Textual criticism, you know, it, you're going to find that there are variants Lots of variants throughout the entire scriptures. So right. then it comes down to the idea of how, to, like, what are the ones that we know pretty solidly are, are insertions. For instance, the adulterous woman. For instance, the longer ending of Mark. For instance, uh, you know, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they've done. Why do we say that these are pretty obviously insertions? And I'll let you take over here in just a second, Rob. So prepare yourself. Well, the reason why is because they're not in any of the early manuscripts. They don't come around until later. You don't see them inserted into manuscripts until you know later. Now, for instance, the adulterous woman, we've talked about this at length uh, on this show before, I think maybe two or three times. The adulterous woman doesn't show up until later. You can find this in any apparatus. 
and it's in various different places. They don't really know where to put it. Uh, it's, you know, they put it in different books. They put it, you know, uh, so that's not to say that it not, that there isn't a version of that story that might not be somewhat true. It might've been a story that was circulated around about Yeshua and, uh, you know, whether it was adultery or not that the woman was accused of, I'm sure that there's some truth to it, but, but was it original in the text where we have it in our Bible right now? The answer is no, it wasn't. And so then the question becomes, if the original author did not write it in the original manuscript, is it inspired by the Holy Spirit? That's the question that needs to be asked. Okay, take over. What do you think? I just think, and, and we've, I, I'm pl- plugging another book today, but I've, I've plugged this before. This is uh, Dirk Junkind, I think it's a Junkind, um, Introduction to the Greek New Testament. And this is um, Tyndale, Tyndale House, Cambridge. So it's just a little booklet. It's like just a little over 100 pages. I got it for five bucks at SBL. No, no. Oh, it's Crossway. It's Crossway. Introduction to the Greek New Testament by Dirk Junkind. J-O-N-G-K-I-N-D. It's excellent. Now, there, it's, it's, there's actually a subtitle. It's the Introduction to the Greek New Testament produced at Tyndale, Cambridge. That's what I... In other words, there's a new Greek Testament out, printed edition, that is different than other Greek manuscripts that have, or uh, Greek editions, eclectic texts. Um, and you, I think they have a... You can just buy a really lovely little booklet that's just the Gospel of Mark in Greek. Right. It's just like or one of Paul's epistles and they're really well made. I think they make them so you can write in the margins, but it's a really beautiful product. And this little guy, you don't need to read Greek to understand the introduction to the Greek New Testament produced at Tyndale House, published by Crossway. <laughs> um, it goes through all these. It, it's just a really good introduction for someone who's not going to take a class. Um what we do at Torah Resource Institute, second-year Greek students, we get into, we use the fundamentals of New Testament textual criticism while we're reading scripture so that we can start to learn to use the tools that translators use and scholars who are studying a certain text and learn to make sense of all the, um, the, the apparatus, you know, with all the text variants at the bottom of each page. We learn to use those tools and explore. And now what's made that even better is online digital images of manuscripts. So it's not just a reference in a footnote. You can actually go and look at with your own eyes, look at high res images of many of these manuscripts. It's wonderful. But to be able to swim in those waters, you have to learn how to swim, right? And so that involves some language study, some history, uh, all that kind of stuff. So another, a free resource is that I think does a decent job, maybe not on the theological side, but on the text note side, is the online Net Bible, N-E-T Bible, the Net Bible. I believe they have a new edition out they've gone through. But whenever you look at it, it'll say T-N, like a text note. Right. You can go down and you can read it. It'll explain why did we choose, why is this verse missing or why is it here? And sometimes they'll say, 
well, we included it, although we need to give you some backstory. And they do a great job. I think Dr. Wallace was a big, if I remember right, Caleb, you could correct me if I'm wrong. Yep. Uh, I think Dr. Daniel Wallace has been part of the Net Bible team to create those notes. So the text notes in the Net Bible, online free resource, there you go. At least with the Greek. Uh, I'm not sure. I haven't really used the Net Bible for the Tanakh at all, so I can't speak to that. Yeah, we got a lot going on in the. Uh, uh, we got a lot going on in the chat room. Uh, so why won't so th- this person says um, uh, that uh, Jim Barfield and the, uh, the Copper Scroll Project is super interesting. We've done so much work on this. We did an entire show. I've written two articles, which. I've also put in the uh, in the chat room for those who are curious. Oh, is he still do? Is he still doing that? I guess so. I can't oh, believe. Oh, yeah. Is. Stay, I the, would just say the, stay away from the it. reason stay that away. the reason they won't let him dig in Qumran is because it's obvious that he's wrong. First of all, second of because he does, it's obvious. Read my articles, and second of all, because why are you going to let some dude who used to be a cop come in and start digging around an archaeological site. Was he a cop or a firefighter? He was a cop. I mean, that, I mean, I, I wouldn't, they wouldn't let me go start digging in a, in a legitimate archaeological site. Why would they let some dude who obviously doesn't speak Hebrew and is totally wrong? I mean, he tried to go into the Israel antiquity and basically they, they said, this guy's full of it. And uh, no, of course, we're not going to let you dig. And now he goes around and tell, tells people no ground penetrating radar doesn't confirm anything i I mean literally this is dumpster diving on the internet you're listening to jim barfield who literally tried to use google translate i'm not lying to translate the copper scroll um i mean come on (laughs) oh let me let me let me try to 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 interpret this scroll hey google trans hey google I beg. Siri. <laughs> yeah, hey, yeah, Siri, can you tell me what this copper scroll says? I yeah, I, I would just avoid I would just say don't waste your time on that. That's what I would say. So Okay. Um, um so somebody's asking about somebody else. I'm not sure. I would have to look into it. Okay. Um, yeah, I think that's all we got. I would say for everyone, keep your eyes open for the new Tor resource site. Should be out hopefully by the end of tomorrow. And um, yeah, once you see that, then we will try to have a video on Messiah Matters more pretty pretty quickly after that. And uh, yeah, if you have any comments, you can call our comment line 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. You can also shoot us an email, cheg, that's C-H-E-G-G at TorahResource.com. Anything else before we go, Rob? Nope, nope. Oh, well, you, you can check out, check out, I've been doing these uh, little things on our Heart of Messiah Facebook page, and you can go and look at them, you, even though I, I do it as a live thing, because it's just, I just sit down and it's like 10 minutes. What I do is a screen share, and what, I'm, what I've been doing is taking the, from the yearly Torah portion, I've been taking a little section from the Dead Sea Scrolls that we have from that Torah portion, and lately, a lot in Exodus, there's a lot of Paleo Hebrew, and I'll do a screen share, and then I'll I'm using my little marker on my iPad, and tracing out the letters, and then rewriting them. So it's just a little lesson in Hebrew with a little bit of Paleo Hebrew, 
if you go to our Heart of Messiah uh, website on Facebook, you can go to posts and you can watch. I just do a live stream and then it it saves automatically and there's a backlog of them. But nothing fancy, no high production. It's just to jump in and 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 the images I'm taking from the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, official you know website, Dead Sea Scrolls digital library website. So I pull the high res image and then we look at uh, differences between the Masoretic text if there is. And uh, they're usually about 10 minutes long. My first ones were really long. And it's like, okay, I, I got to make them short. But anyway, just you had to edit. That's a first. I don't have, well, no, I just, I don't edit. I just a straight, it's just a live session that's I start and it's done. So right on. All nothing right, guys. fancy, but for those interested in Hebrew, they might like it. We will see you guys next week. We hope that this conversation has glorified our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah, because Messiah matters. Messiah matters.